1: Your wise rise up, see the signs of the times. If it's time, rise, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you. Starves our father's children When snuff porn and pedo forms Begin to get top billing Rise up when famine claims millions When justice gives blind eyes to billions When the Lord's anger is no longer feared If his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up no matter High in the skies or perdition. If our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise to attrition or blatant nepotism. If women and children have to live in impossible conditions. if you And welcome to, to Black,
0: excuse dead, me. Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, this is New Abolitionist period. Radio. I believe, Max, you must have yourself muted, if sir. You can unmute yourself. We can get started, brother. When it appears that yeah, we cannot hear you. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry, Max. Your I, I I got confused and unmuted the wrong person. I saw another South Carolina number. So, Max, uh, go ahead and take it away. All right, no doubt.
2: Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activists and spoken word poet Max Marcus, with new abolitionist and actionist Johanna Nalaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scott D. On this program, we discuss recent views on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the April 19th broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. We are at the Sweet 16 mark of the Trump. Pence corporatocracy, and they say a thermonuclear world war could erupt at any moment. All it took was 16 weeks to put the whole world in jeopardy. On this day, in 1775, the American Revolution began at Lexington Common with the shot heard round the world. Our guest today will be Green Party, South Carolina, District 5, Congressional Candidate David Comer. David Comer for Congress on Facebook and host of Jaws of Justice Radio, Greg Ducor. David and Greg are both slavery abolitionists and allies in this fight for freedom. David has pledged that should he win this seat, he will personally call for congressional hearings on the 13th Amendment to quote him. That will be the very first thing I do. We'll also have our regular segments, which include The Abolitionist in Profile, Our Rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad, and our new segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion. All of that and the most up to date news on legalized slavery and human trafficking you can find. There is nothing out there like what you'll hear today. So let's get started. If you got a question or a comment? Make sure you call us at 1 866 510 9025. You can chat with us and others who are on the program now by slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Partners. What's up, Brother Scotty?
0: Uh, greetings to you, Max, and greetings to all the listeners. I'm looking forward to this program, uh, especially hearing from another person running for Congress on that has a abolitionist platform part of their plank uh, or abolitionist plank part of their platform. So always uh interested in seeing this movement move forward and it just it just really signifies a lot of progress and spreading the abolitionist message if a person does their due diligence and and do the research there's no way they can come away from the 13th amendment and say that slavery was abolished in 1865 when it is so evident that it's still being practiced through the prison so you know i'm just excited uh, about that um we do have Johanna with us uh greetings to you what's brother.
1: what's up
3: Johann?
0: good to have you here man to begin it Peace, peace. Good to
2: be here, fellas. We all survived another week. We all bet, So, Dude, I'm surprised we survived today. It's been so crazy. <laughs> oh, my day has been so crazy today. Yeah. You know, we were supposed to leave today to fulfill one of my bucket list wishes, which was to be able to smoke legally somewhere, just to not have to worry about cops arresting me if I want to smoke a joint. Just as simple as that. You know what I mean? So we were going to go out to Colorado, and then um, – This morning, as we were getting the rental car and coming back with it, we get a phone call saying my uncle just had a heart attack. So we rushed off to Greenville, two-and-a-half-hour drive away in the other direction. And then on the way there, my sister calls me and says, the twins are missing. They got police looking out with helicopters and dogs sniffing for them and all of this. That was how my day began. Fortunately, they found the boys. They were lost in the woods. Shout-out to Mr. Garrett, who was praying for you. But the boys were lost in the woods. They had got out of the house five years old and did what kids do. And my uncle is going to recover, uh, they say, and they're just checking now for uh, oxygen in his lungs or blood clots in his lungs. So that was how my day went, dude. And I just got home like an hour ago. I had to change my whole mindset to do today's show.
4: Right on. Well, it's good to get back to talking about something that uh... – there's no argument, no uh split, no no diversion from real events that's going on for us to be concerned with because the stuff that's been happening since we were all together in this last week. I mean, we had uh prominent black judges coming up murdered and calling it suicide and you know, whatever we we had uh, over the holiday weekend, the 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 so-called Facebook massacres and the Fresno massacres, and I mean all this crazy mess going on. It's like you don't know from day to day if it's gonna be something happened in North Korea, if they if somebody at home gonna do I mean it's just all these things. But I bring all this up to point out this one fact. Slavery rolls on quietly and highly profitable to all the people involved. So while all these other things are of importance, they have some significance and, and they, they deserve to be discussed in the public sector or what have you, but I keep looking at the stock prices, and I'll be damned if GEO Group didn't hit $43 a share. So just, what, six, eight months ago, we were looking at GEO Group had dropped down to $12 a share and had to suspend trading so they wouldn't lose at all. Hmm. And in this time, these people are up to $43 a share, and yeah. if Trump ain't even had his first hundred days. So I just I'm just glad to be back on the program have a week to you know the week has passed and hey let's come back you know kind of focus focus get back yeah, to what we Yeah yeah Johan and
0: um I think that's one of the stories uh, we may highlight later on about the contract the 100 plus million contract that the Geo group just got from the uh, Trump administration uh however they have failed to lay out a budgetary plan on how they are going to pay for it that when we say how they're going to pay for it we're actually talking about u.s taxpayers how they going to pay for it because it's not in the current budget but just on that news alone their stock shot up just like you know last year when the justice department was saying they were going to suspend their use of private prisons their stock almost you know uh went to zero and so a very troubling um but not unforeseen Uh, event, but like some of the news that was going on over the weekend and I'm glad you said, you know, slavery rolls on 24-7 regardless of what's happening, whether uh, um, the United States is about to enter into nuclear war one with Russia, North Korea, uh, uh, whoever. uh, It seems to be, you know, no lack of adversaries since Trump has uh, seemed to have escalated things, but like somebody was saying about the uh guy who murdered the man in, in Cleveland and posted the video to the to Facebook you know somebody made a comment on a video I made reporting that news and keeping up with that story and saying that you know um I shouldn't do that because they're going they were insinuating that this is going to lead to the loss of rights and, and it's going to make black folks easy pickings and I'm saying to myself, black folks are already easy, easy pickings, and that's why they lead all demographics on the prison plantation as being enslaved in modern-day slavery. So, I, you know, I just shake my head at, I guess, uh, the word would be the cognitive dissonance when it comes to how real slavery is and how many people a year get shot by slave catchers you know some of them may be justified in in that people were actually defending their lives but the whole uh, uh, too many of them end up just being unarmed you know victims of modern day uh, human trafficking and and slavery so people um, that claim to be woke y'all ain't ain't that woke if you not recognize that, that people are already picking easy pickings for this system they're being preyed upon every day
2: Max. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right, man. Uh, it just keeps rolling on. You know, I remember the story of when the, uh, you, the University of California did the divestment program with uh, the students led it, and they managed to, I think it was $30 million that they divested from the prisons there at the university. And as I was reading into it, I found out they had like 90 some billion dollars in assets. So this $30 million was nothing to them. Like, it, it, they cry tears worth more than $30 million. But to us, that was our lives. You know what I mean? Like $30 million was running a prison somewhere that they had invested in these prisons. Our people were dying behind that $30 million. And it was as if we were beneath notice because they had so much money. And when I see people talking about the current events of today with the thermal nuclear war threats Libya now practicing openly Slavery the way that They did back in the 1600s Starting the slave trade There and the Different genocides go on It tends to seem as if people are trying to say to me Yo Max your problem ain't that big And I gotta say that's some bullshit This is the problem Right here Just because all of these other things are going on Does not mean that this does not Have to be handled Does not have to be dealt with Someone once asked me how important ending slavery is to me. And I said, if I knew a uh, nuclear bomb or if nuclear war was about to start tomorrow, I would still be fighting to end slavery today. Well, there's my mini rant. But yeah, I'm feeling you man. I'm looking forward to our guest tonight. I had some good times with him recently at his uh, nomination, special nomination in uh, Fort Mill, South Carolina, tribal myself, Jay Rochelle. Uh, We attended there, and I even got to speak at his nomination. Uh, A few words. I was kind of unprepared, but you know, uh, I got something to say at all times, so say what I had to say. And uh, This brother is as sincere as they come. As Scotty noted earlier, We've seen now a good number of political candidates running on abolitionist platforms, and I think just about every one of them have come onto this program to talk about it. So So uh, today uh, we will have uh, David Coleman, who's running for Congress in South Carolina's District 5. And uh, this brother, as I said last week, did his research. He knows what he's talking about. Once we spoke, and he did what others uh, tend to not do, and he started digging for information. I guess he wanted to understand for himself and to be certain before he opened his mouth and said anything, and he did that. And I'm very proud that he did that. I'm very happy that he did that because it only helped to more clearly uh, express to him what he was dealing with. Thoughts?
4: No, is he I guess if we are uh having a guest or having someone that's gonna to speak to us about this, I mean I I definitely wanna hear what he has to say. I've commented in the section that uh, I'm kinda on short time today. I just came in while I had a break um to to get in with you also. I got the first thirty minutes of the program, then I gotta get back to it. But with what you've been saying, I mean, what we're talking about with all of this, you know, the the foundation of it is is slavery so? People that want to speak on what they've seen of it, or their angle of it, or what they can do to help us combat it—I mean, of course, that's that's paramount. I mean, that's that's the whole key to it all. I mean, when we saw um, when we saw these companies and see that the people that are profiting from it continue to to do what they're doing, I think we got to shine light on it from every angle because the money is the currency. I mean, that is the the blood, the lifeblood of it that keeps it going as long as it's profitable you know, even from a political aspect, as long as it's profitable for the local, you know, the localities and municipalities that are benefiting, the corporations that are benefiting, it's going to continue to be a real thing. So if we get a political angle, a corporate angle, a legal angle, I mean, every angle we can to to find how to keep, like Scotty always says,
2: death by a thousand paper cuts, so. Word, word. You know, I, I cannot say that I have all my faith in whether or not these sociopaths will be willing to adhere to the Constitution and willing to take out the exception clause and then adhere to it if they did. I see how they violate the Constitution every day. But I'm willing to fight for this because I think it can succeed. But, you know, if uh, the worst case scenario happens, there's always plan B. <laughs> Do we have... I wonder if we have our guests on yet. Uh, it's about quarter after now, a little bit past that. So... Uh, let's take a look here. We got somebody calling in from Rock Hills, South Carolina. Uh, well, if you're calling in, as two of them, as a matter of fact, and you're our guest, just press star, star to unmute yourself, and we'll start yep. from there.
0: Yep. Well, Max, uh, before we bring on our guest, just to piggyback off of what you said, and, and yes, we've always talked since the start of this program Uh, five years ago talked about a death by a thousand paper cuts. By any means necessary, uh, should we be seeking to end slavery? But, you know, when you look back at the uh, period of slavery pre-1865, you know that raising the national awareness on the morality of the issue was very key in towards pushing the nation towards abolitionist goals. So in my Mm -hmm. opinion, when you have people running – for uh um you know uh political offices in abolitionism is is a part of their platform and they're educating the public that just you know it just raises that public awareness and and so we've seen that public awareness grow from just five years ago to there was really no media outside of new abolitionist radio that was consistently bringing up the 13th amendment Then out comes uh, um, the Netflix funded documentary, the 13th. And now everybody's talking about it. So, Uh I I mean, you know, bringing uh, political parties aboard and them, uh, you know, acknowledging this issue, uh, whether their uh, individual campaigns are successful or not, they're still, you know, doing the country a service and just raising the uh, uh, issue. So I do believe we have our guest, Max, if you want to take over. I think we have both uh, Mr. Jokoi and uh, Mr. Coomer.
2: No doubt. Well, I'll read a short part of uh, the bios here. Uh, David is a teacher, musician, an online video maker, a husband, a son, a brother, a dog owner, and a concerned citizen. He says he has strong moral convictions that we must protect the least among us, honestly speak truth, power, and work together to solve our problems. He says, although... He spent most of his life working hard as a musician. He grew up, he grew tired of how our politicians ignore our issues and have chosen to run for Congress to make sure that the values we share, democracy, peace, justice, and protecting our planet, have a voice in this special election. And as I said, I've met this brother and he has done his research and he knows exactly what we're talking about. And he knows a lot more than the average person simply because he the time to find out. And also... Greg Jacoy is our guest today, and he is the host of Johns uh, of Justice Radio, and uh, both of them are out of South Carolina. So welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, Greg and Dave. Thank you. It's good oh, to be here. Pleasure Can to you hear me? Indeed. We we hear both of you, no doubt. Uh, Dave, uh, tell the people a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll go from there,
5: I guess, and then I'll do it with Greg as well. Sure. Well, I'm... Um... Well, you, told, you said a little of my bio there, but I'm a, uh, I'm an adjunct music professor. That means I'm part-time and I get paid for shit um, at Winthrop University in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm sure my, my boss will be happy I said that. Um, the, Man, I was just about to uh, applaud
2: you. Like, this is my kind of congressman right here. <laughs> Go ahead.
5: Right, right. So the, I'm also a, a freelance musician. Um, that means I am also part-time and play gigs whenever they come to my way. Um, I play the oboe, but I also do some uh, performance art that's sort of spoken word. Um, um, If you look me up on YouTube and type in Perfect Lives, that phrase, you'll find video of me doing what I do, and you'll know what that is. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, but I have South Carolina roots. That's where my uh, mother grew up. That's where my father went to seminary. It's uh, and my wife is originally from Aiken, South Carolina. Do you want to know any more information about me?
2: Uh, Well, if if that's what you want to give us, that's fine with me, brother. I just pulled up a YouTube page so I can bookmark it and check out those things later. If you're doing a little spoken word, I want to know that too. That's really cool, right? Uh, Greg, tell us a little bit about you and what you do as well.
6: Well, I'm a 58-year-old man with uh, two kids and two grandkids. Um, both my kids and my grandkids are, are women, um, so the uh, the future of women is super important to me. And um, I came to learn about uh, modern-day slavery and the fact that slavery never went away um, from new abolitionist radio and scobby reed <laughs> so it's all your fault man
2: <laughs> Indeed, um, brother. we're trying to create abolitionists every day
6: absolutely absolutely and um I- i'm gonna do my very best <coughs> to keep my mouth shut and let david talk as he's the one that people are going to be voting for but i do want to i do want to just impart a couple of um real quick stories that um I think it illustrates the importance of talking about this issue and the impact that it can have. David was speaking before a forum a debate in Newberry, South carolina in the newberry opera house and um and it's available on on the the uh facebook dot com slash uh, facebook page and um during this debate. David said on more than one occasion that we need to end modern-day slavery or just end slavery and remove the um, the exception clause from the 13th Amendment. And uh, on at least one of those occasions, he got um, applause <laughs> from this audience. And understand, this audience was... Um, filled with, it was not filled with people who didn't have their mind up, made up. Everybody who was in there knew who they were backing, yet they still applauded when the guy they weren't backing said something about prison slavery. So this is something people are aware of in ways that even I didn't realize, because I didn't expect anybody in that crowd to even acknowledge the fact that we'd raised the issue, or that David raised the issue. The other is that, um, that after a debate that happened or a forum that happened yesterday in Lancaster County, South Carolina, sponsored by the uh Lancaster uh County Chamber of Commerce. Um, the uh um, one of the people approached us and said you know I had worked as a CEO and I don't, these the inmates were not enslaved. Um and i and he said and i said yeah they were and um and he said um he said well i was supervising these people while they were out growing food to feed themselves to supply food for the local school system local hospital etc are you telling me that those people who were out there farming were slaves and i said yes now as I shared I, with someone earlier today, and I, I hope that it was Max, but it may not have been. The, the better answer to that would, have, the better answer to that would have been for me to say, while you were quote unquote supervising them, did you have a shotgun with you? As I shared, I because I, I and I, I hope that it was Max. The, the, the better answer to that would, have, the better answer to that would have been for me to. say. Am I listening to myself in the loop? I hear you now. I I okay, good. The, the better answer for me to have, or the better answer for the better question for me to have asked him, rather than saying, you know, yes, they are slaves, and yes, you were a slave catcher, a slave um, uh, foreman, um, what I should have said was, you know, while you were, quote unquote, supervising these inmates, did you have a shotgun with you? Did you have a weapon that you could use to gun them down if they decided to run away? Because that would have made it, I think, clearer to him that he was involved in slavery than my simple statement of, yes, those, those inmates were, in fact, enslaved. And Maybe he's listening out. now.
2: Maybe he's listening now. It's possible. We, you've been there you surprised got. that tune into New Abolitionist Radio. As you said, uh, it's gotten out here a lot more than you had ever expected and you're right, you're talking about South Carolina the heart of the South the capital of the South, and one of these little small towns that's filled with people that all sound like Alex Jones so for them to be saying yes I know about this, because I watched that debate that you were talking about yesterday but the other one, where he got the applause mm-hmm. when he was talking about legalizing right. the war on drugs and such and I heard the candidates and I was like oh my god look at these people, Like, they, it's like they listen to Fox News and and Alex Jones all day long And now they want to bring it to Washington Or bring it to the state capitol And he was the only one who was making any sense And the biggest piece of sense he made was We need to end slavery And people in this community here in the South Are aware of that now They know what's going on Because it's no longer just affecting black people It's also affecting white people too And Hispanics But Absolutely. Exactly those too So everybody's getting touched by it now And we're all sick and tired of it and they're very much aware of what's going on with the trump administration you know um, one woman
0: um, i'm sorry scotty go
2: ahead
0: I, i really appreciate the stories that greg shared with us thank you for sharing those stories greg because i think what you can gather from the reaction of the crowd as he described it that this is a bipartisan issue everybody like he said came into that opera house already with their political label meaning you know knowing who they was going to back but since that issue resonates across the board that's even more encouraging man and it i hope that those candidates or these other parties uh recognize that this is a uh you know a bipartisan issue that people care about
2: amen to that scotty uh you know what let's go ahead and get to our guest, David. Uh Let's give you the open floor, man. You're running for Congress, and uh, we've got a pretty decent audience here. It's a national and international audience, so the world is listening in. Say whatever you want to say.
5: Well, I, I will first, I would well, just like to, I haven't yet thanked you all for uh, allowing me to be here tonight. Um, I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak with you all about an issue that is uh, near and dear to your heart and is uh, one that we really have to address immediately uh, in our country. The, well, uh, let me let me just say the uh, the sort of how I got here to sort of explain wh- why I why I'm bringing this issue up. That um, for the past as a teacher in a university, I've been working very hard on finding ways to make my work for my students relevant to their lives and what I found through changing the way I teach and even changing what I teach to my students and designing a class where I allow them to have a say in what what gets covered and what kind of music we talk about because I'm a music teacher that I then had to go out and learn lots of things about our world that I wouldn't have been aware of being a guy who sat in a room with an oboe and reed knives making oboe reeds when I was a kid and in college. And what I found out about our world that I wasn't, you know, the lies were told, you know, and the the propaganda were given as as kids about the changes in our society from 1865 onward. Um, I just, it's the slow, it's been a slow process for me over the past few years of finally being in the right situation with the, the kind of people that I was surrounding myself with and the kind of reading that I was doing and at the same time all of the, uh, um, of the as Black Lives Matter became more and more apparent in our world and I had followed enough people on Twitter that when Michael Brown was murdered that I saw a completely different reaction than somebody watching the regular news on television. And then when uh when then when the non indictment went down and and Ferguson went up in flames and then in the same like few days that Tamir Rice was murdered in Cleveland, Ohio, I'm from Lakewood, the first suburb west. You know, I that's where I'm from and it was and a twelve year old boy after two seconds being you're just the cop car pulling up and watching that video and just sitting there going, I can't fucking believe this is happening. And then knowing that through all the reading and things I'd learned that were the only difference between now and say previous decades is that we can just now see it on video because of the technology we have. That's the only difference. And through that, then being like reading, learning more as that, so that just inflamed me in, in anger discussed that I just was trying to learn more and more about how our society is so uh, unequal and dangerous to black lives and others that when uh, I read I, I read uh, Michelle Alexander's the New Jim Crow and just her indictment of the prison system which only goes so far but it was just clearly we had to something had to be done and I was just and so I started talking about this stuff in my classes because my class is about how music integrates with society and you know and what was amazing is that you know my students when bringing these things up they wanted to talk about it and they were more interested and they engaged me in ways I never would have imagined as a person who used to teach people about chords and moving forward from there it's been just watching all of the garbage happen over this election and two candidates I couldn't stand and then just watching um, Nick Mulvaney is the guy who left uh, his seat that's, that's open now that I'm running for is now the new uh, budget director as he stands there in front of cameras talking about how it's compassionate to cut meals on wheels and all this stuff that is just a load of horseshit as far as I'm concerned that we need to that through all the learning I've done and then seeing 13th, which, again, does a lot for awareness, but it only goes so far. And when I watched that documentary, I said to myself, we need to get rid of that exception clause from the 13th Amendment. Why the hell is that thing still there? And that led me, you know, so when I was meeting with Greg and other Green Party people at the time thinking about running and I literally just said in a list of things that I was thinking, thinking about for issues, like, well, we have to do this. And Greg looked at me and said, you're an abolitionist. And I went, what? I'm like, I didn't really know. Like, it, it, it never occurred to me to think that there are abolitionists, ap- slavery abolitionists still around. And so Greg, you know, as and Max, you remember talking to me a, a few weeks back. Yes, and sir. And you, you just laid down the extra information I didn't know because I knew some of it, but I literally sat there after our conversation, Max, and I was ready to cry. And and I decided that, um, you know, if it was even a quarter as bad as the way you described it, that this was an issue that we had to deal with. Like, we had, we had to do all of the things that we've described, and you, you remember, the, the, you, if you listened last week, you heard my video. And if it was a quarter as bad, we still had to do all of it. So I decided to, you know, and then it was like, okay, well, this issue, I'm going to talk about this one. I'm going to bring it, to, whenever given the opportunity, I'm going to speak about this one, along with some other issues that, you know, I care about, but if you want me to talk about those, I can do that at other time, but we can stay on this one.
1: I well, that's, uh, that's
5: enough of talk right now.
2: <laughs> Indeed, brother, I, I think we all have followed a similar path, and then it just hit, uh, we knew in the beginning that language was so important. Scotty was so on point with that as a uh, former military high, uh, with high clearance, working in communications. Um, he knew that if we just changed a few words and really used the words that best apply to the circumstances, it could change the mindset of the people themselves. So instead of saying... Right. Something uh, like uh, you know mass Incarceration which is only A symptom of a larger problem Say slavery because not only Does it convince you further But it also lets people know what they're dealing with And what's the answer to slavery The answer to slavery is not reform (laughs) There's only one answer to slavery It's abolition and that Again gives you this catalyst This moment where the word Itself changes your mind And I, I can see that that happened With you when Greg said you know what you're an abolitionist. Yeah, <laughs> Max. Like,
0: hey, you know, um am right. W- Max, I wanted to chime in with you, David, on that. Um, I had a similar reaction from Angela Chan, who is an immigration um, attorney uh, and a prominent uh, Asian-American uh, lawyer. And she works out in California in the San Francisco area. And she wrote she wrote an article that was published in the Huffington Post that pointed out that the 13th Amendment Uh, did not abolish slavery and she wrote about it you know in terms of her work with immigrants and them being in detention facilities and made to work For slave wages, if paid at all, now we see. So she, when I said to her, "You're abolitionist," you know, she was kind of taken aback because it is strange to use that language in the 21st century, but it is the correct language, you know, to apply. I mean, if we're looking at the 13th Amendment and taking it at face value, so, so you know, uh, when you told, when Greg said that to you, I got a similar reaction from Angela Chan as well
5: sure it makes sense to me that the, the idea that that um I that we alive in 21st century America are continuing the work that Frederick Douglass or Harriet Tubman did is something that if based on the way I was taught in my education it was it just it literally just it's a non sequitur it's like that doesn't make any sense but you know but then again, I've learned much of it over the past few years as I've moved to the left in my politics that there are a lot of ways in which our society uh, uh, has platitudes about itself in order to not look at the awful realities that are very apparent once you actually look.
6: I'm going to jump in here with another quickie story, if I may. Um, David and I were. Um, Uh, I took the video that David, um, made about, uh, prison slavery and, uh, and quote unquote boosted it. Spent 20 bucks for, you know, Mr. Zuckerberg to let everybody know. And, um, someone, and it works. (laughs) That video's been seen by over 4,000 people now. But most of that came from people like you sharing it, and we know that. Anyway, um, The, um, one of the, someone commented that they had been in prison and they were not, they had not been enslaved. They had been, they had not been forced to work. They had not been enslaved. And, um, and I, you know, I responded with, hey, I can't argue with your lived experience. If you say you were not enslaved, then fine. That doesn't mean that it hasn't happened to other people. And then, Once again, I'm thinking back on that, and what comes to my mind, imagine it's already come to yours, was Harriet Tubman. I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if they'd have known they were slaves. So this man was unaware, perhaps, of his actual enslavement. And now I'm going to hush up.
2: No, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, As a matter of fact, there's a quote that uh, comes from Jean Jacques Rousseau, 1712 to 1778, where he said, slaves lose everything in their chains, even the desire of escaping them. So uh, we see that a lot with people who are working in these prisons for pennies on a dollar, doing whatever menial tasks they may be doing, or they may be working in call centers like California has, where AT&T has employees in the prisons, in factory-built prisons. Whatever it is they're doing to them, they're like, you know what? I'm making a few dollars from my commissary. I'm taking care of myself. I need this. And you can't tell me this is a bad thing because without it, I would have nothing. And, and, and in their mind, they're not seeing it as slavery. They see it as an opportunity. Like, hey, I get to go out and fight forest fires. I always wanted to be a fireman. So what? I get paid $2 a day. But the people who are employing you and using those services don't give a damn how you feel. They don't care what you think. Your opinion does not matter to them What matters to them is how much money are they saving By paying you 10 cents an hour Or $2 a day That's what matters to them And then we end up with prisons like South Carolina has Where uh, the prisons are in such bad conditions That lawsuits are being uh, levied against them Even today, I read in the newspaper today There's a lawsuit against the uh, prison here in South Carolina Kershaw. People are being strangled to death in cells And you have to live with that here in this nation where if you get pulled over like the young black man I told you about, David, when we met, who got stopped for his music being loud, and you end up in one of these facilities, you could be strangled to death over that because you're in prison with people who are doing murder and who have done real murder and don't care anything about anything. They will strangle you to death as they did three men in the past few weeks with electrical wire and a broom to tighten the wire around their throats. So any arrest today is a potential death sentence. And any arrest today puts you in a position where you have to work for pennies on a dollar. And don't tell me about how this is some kind of training for when I get out and I you know, I need job training. What if I had a job before I went in there and you destroyed my life? <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm a little passionate as you can see, just like you brothers are. This is a very important thing. Is our mind is the number one issue we face as a nation. We are either free or we're not. We either have slavery or we don't. It's no in between. Max, so, uh, indeed.
0: Max, I have a question for our guests and Greg. Um, I'm gonna direct it to you as well, as a member of the Green Party. I have been working on um, a little um, BTR news piece today, and the subject of it is the sanctuary cities. Uh, part of the reason why the G.O. group stock um, is projecting a six a percent, I believe, a six percent yield and uh, people are being encouraged to invest in that private prison corporation is because of Trump's immigration policies. And so we see these sanctuary cities where you have local law enforcement. Um, I guess under the direction of the mayor or the city council not to participate in the federal enforcing federal immigration law and I, my thing is this whether you support the policies of sanctuary cities or not it shows to me that, that if a municipality the people who make up you know who have been voted into power um, think that something is immoral just like in the 1800s they will ignore the law as you know many uh refuse to convict people under the Fugitive Slave Act. So here we have sanctuary cities where law enforcement is not participating uh, in these federal immigration uh, uh, enforcement actions. And then, but we look at the drug war, which is mainly, again, pushed by the federal government, another set of policies that is like immigration enforcement today uh, uh, leading to the same result. And that's more people in prison, in prison slavery, uh, for nonviolent crimes. So, I mean, what, what are your, you all's thoughts? Um, or is this an issue the green party has taken a look at, or has anybody, you know, just looked at how these municipalities can make the decision not to enforce federal law, but continue to enforce these, uh, drug war policies. Thank you. It's
5: a great question. um, the, in terms of just like whether or not I support, I mean I support sanctuary cities because I, you know, the, one of the things that really has worried me over the years about the sort of the of oh, this immigration issue is when I watch Democracy Now and they they make uh, they do stories about the a immigration detention family immigrant um, immigration detention center in Dilly Texas and. And I literally just, I sit there and people have been talking about how Donald Trump brings up, or like they wanted to make like a Muslim registry or whatever, all this immigration stuff. And there was this asshole on um, Fox, and there's a video of him uh, bringing up uh, Japanese internment as a way to justify doing this sort of registry of people. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, and like people who are activists like George Takei say that we shouldn't be doing, you know, we have to make sure that that never happens again. And I literally just sit there and I think, we're putting women and children who are coming here from, from, as refugees seeking asylum from Central America, and we're, we're locking them in immigration detention centers. Aren't those things already internment camps? That's the question I ask myself when I watch those things. So it, it strikes me as equally immoral and problematic as, as you described in your, as you were explaining your question. So you're right that um, somehow there seems to be ways for, I mean, look, look here's the deal, is the Republicans do this kind of shit all the time. They say that the federal government shouldn't have any, any sort of say in particular issues that should be reserved for states, and so then they attempt to... Um, Obfuscate federal law to uh, to make sure that they get what they want when they don't agree with whoever is in power. And the sanctuary cities is basically the reverse of that. It's deciding that uh, Trump's plans for immigration are um, morally suspect and disgusting, and so they're going to stand up for those things. and you know, I, I advocate. You mentioned the drug war. I advocate that we should end the drug war. It's one of the things that's putting lots of people in prison, and we shouldn't be. And it was designed to do so to put black people in prison back in the '70s when they brought all this up uh, as a way to uh, to criminalize black life in this country. And that it strikes me that sort of the, the the purpose of your question, you can correct me if I'm wrong, seemed to point to the how. The morality behind, uh, not being willing to follow immigration law as a way to make a connection across to the prison slavery issue that makes sense to me. It's just, uh, the, what ends up happening is the, you know, is the very, is the relative knowledge on the issue of people, right? Because, I mean, when the Fugitive Slave Act was passed, I mean, they were, you know, there were people actively attempting to not let people, uh, you know, slave catchers, go up into the north and and take people back. So, I mean, we could raise this issue to that level if we found a way to reach enough people that where they would literally say, we're not going to participate in putting people in prison specifically so that they can be worked for low wages or no wages at all and be, you know... You know, if, if everybody, if enough people know about what happened to Khalif Browder and to realize that what happened to Khalif Browder was not an exception but the rule, that people would would wake up to this. Did I answer your question, Scotty Reed? I was
6: going to say I am yes. feeling Scotty's on mute. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Yes, I mean yes, issues. that
0: that answers the question. You know, we're talking about, and I'm just trying to bring out ways that we can, like we mentioned, death by a thousand paper cuts. We hope to get uh, abolitionists like yourself elected to Congress so these issues can be raised on the House floor and and you can sponsor some abolitionist uh, legislation. But. We also need to be organized to put pressure on our local municipalities using sanctuary cities as an example, not to enforce drug laws where you're locking people up for petty possession and and, and just filling up the jails. And and most of it's leading to prison slavery. So it sounds like you do understand uh, what what I was getting at and we're in agreement. Um, Greg, did you have something to add?
6: Yeah, um, Scotty, thank you for that. Because now that now that I've got you clear on your on your question, um, I think you've really given me an idea that we should we should move on. The the Green Party as a national organization should begin the process of contacting of having every local chapter contact their local law enforcement and government and say, please stop enforcing the drug laws don't do any more arrests you don't have to and it's just to stop this you know and if we have to if if they ignore us then guess what if they ignore that request then guess what we now have an issue that we can take to the people and say if you elect the majority of us to the Simpsonville City Council or the Kershaw City Council now imagine what a shock that would be in Kershaw County or to, to, to the county, uh, whatever the city. I know Kershaw's the county, not the city. Anyway, imagine the shock of the system if, if, the, if, a, if, a, if an abolitionist, in terms of just that issue, if a majority of the government was elected and then directed those people to say, "You are our employees, and as such, you will no longer enforce these laws. You will not arrest people for these violations of the law." It seems to me like that's something the Green Party ought to be doing. We do back sanctuary City, so that's a that's a, a clear you know position there. But does that sound like a good idea to you, David?
5: Oh, absolutely. Fuck! If we could get local local municipalities to stop enforcing the drug laws, you know how many people's lives would be. Jeez, I mean there just, was an example you know, of that the... that
2: happened recently. Um, I believe it was in 2015 or 16. I think it was 15 that the New York Police Department staged a slowdown. They no longer were issuing out these uh, frivolous tickets. They were no longer arresting people for frivolous reasons, no stopping and searching, none of that. It all stopped, and their revenue decreased by 90%. And after about two weeks Fine. of that, the uh, the uh, police department, led with, in tandem with the police union, Insisted that the officers go right back to what they were doing because the city of New York was losing $10 million a week in revenue. So it wasn't about law for that. It was about $10 million a week. And they told those officers, if you do not go back to doing what you were doing, you will no longer get your vacation pay or your uh, time off that you have heard.
5: Why am I not surprised? Okay.
6: Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention one other thing, too, because this is, and, and I know that I'm hypersensitive on this. I know that David is, too. So when I share this, I know that David will understand what I'm saying, and I'm not trying to be critical of him when I say this. Criminalizing black lives. When that, that phrase, criminalizing black life, we need to understand that when it comes, for example, to the drug. Laws. They're not just, I mean, what, they're not criminalizing black life. They're targeting black life because black life, white life, brown life, yellow life, every life does drugs. Let's be honest here. There's not a differentiation. The differentiation is based on who is punished. When they do their search on their, their, there's search and seizure they're, they're unconstitutional Stop and frisks They're not stopping and frisking People on Wall Street And I guarantee you There's as much cocaine and marijuana In those pockets as there are people in Harlem Or Bed-Stuy Or uh, the Bronx Or anywhere else
2: Probably more so considering so, the
6: so, so, Right So while I appreciate David He's correct in that they, they did criminalize black life but the drug war is not necessarily a perfect example of that there are other ways well, in uh, which black life was, was more directly criminalized and i'm not trying well, to let I'm, me, just, let me, I'm just trying to be really aware of language that's all
5: sure well um, so i'm 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 using that phrase for a reason um, okay and it's because that the system we're describing was intended to put black people behind bars. I'm right about this, right?
2: 100%. That was the whole purpose. Yeah, so,
5: right, the the purpose of it is to do that. So they're criminalizing black people, but here's the difference, is that in the 1960s, it was no longer acceptable, once there were certain laws on the books, to say so out loud. So the Republicans decided, and had, had plenty of support from the Democrats along the way, that we should we should criminalize other things but make sure that we target black people target everything in such a way so that black people go to prison mostly so that you know it in the end what it does is it puts white people behind bars in order to put black people behind bars like they're willing to it's like what they do with voter suppression it's white in north carolina Right they're willing to put they're willing to take their own poor uh, their own poor republican voters voters in rural North Carolina and not let them able to vote if it will guarantee that they can surgically target African American communities and make sure that they cannot vote so it, it, it's it, it's the same logic but applied in a much uh, in in a different area. To make sure that they can maintain their power and their hold on all the money.
6: Thank you, David. A, that does make
2: sense to me. Yep, indeed. Indeed. It's, you're certainly right. Uh, collateral damage is how they see it, and those are white sacrifices. But they had no idea that it would go so far out of hand. By the time you got 300 million citizens, you're talking about a million white people in prison. And, you know, we have always right. said, as a people, that, you know, what we put up you would never put up with. And it's coming to that point now where they you know, the people won't put up with it. Well man, I
0: I hope that those people um who won't put up with it, whether they're Green Party members, Democratic Party members, Republicans, Libertarians, it label it it doesn't matter. You the voter have, um, the, you know, people that you can go to if you organize and press this issue. You know, the, use right. the sanctuary cities as an example. We're, we're, and then when we look at um, states that have legalized both recreationally or medici- medicinal, those law enforcement agencies in the state are choosing not to enforce federal law. So, law. so while, while like in a state like North Carolina, where I live, where you have Republicans can controlling everything except for the governorship of uh, uh, now with the recent election. But, you know, it would be it'd be very difficult to legalize cannabis or, or any type of drug with the intent on uh, getting people help for their addictions as opposed to, you know, enslaving them. Um, where their labor will be exploited. So, you know, it's on us, the people. I don't want to put it on on David as a candidate or any other candidate out there, um, um, you know, running. Uh, It's on the voter. It is on us. Even if you don't vote, you can still send an email, make a phone call, and put that pressure on. It has to be organized effort. And that is something that I feel could be done at the grassroots level. Oh, absolutely.
5: The the thing that's uh, – I, I agree with you that uh, this, this is and should be a nonpartisan issue. If you erase the idea of slavery with any average American, they will look at you and go, if, if you can convince them that it's real, they will have to do something because they at least know that we used to have chattel slavery in this country and that was, that was removed, but we left certain other kinds available to us. And it's learning that second part that's the, the thing. But what I wanted to say is that the, uh, is that you're talking about grassroots. And one thing that's important about the Green Party is that the Green Party cares about grassroots movements and work, wants to work with them and for them to get things like prison slavery abolished. Uh, to happen to change this country for the better, and I was at a, I was I was listening to um, the three Democrats at a forum before I I, I was uh, at the university I work at right before I came here, and they made me so angry because they answered multiple questions in a row where they were not unequivocally supporting grassroots movements for people who are being oppressed in this country, and I was just. Fumingly angry and screaming in the car on the way home that the kinds of things that movements can change about society are not, are not their, are apparently not their issues, which they are mine. I take these things very, very seriously, and I care about them very, very much, and we have to do things about this, And as, as we've been talking about. This is a moral issue, and we have to do something about it.
2: Johanna, um, would you like to ask any questions? And I do have one before we finish our interview this evening too. johanna Oh, he's not here. He said he only had the first half hour. Okay. No doubt. Well, then if you don't mind, I'll, I'll ask mine. Um Let me just put it in context the guy who had the job before you had an eight million dollar Max,
0: i'm sorry before you get into your question let's take an early break it's only one minute to break then that way we don't have to break up you know his answer
2: okay indeed i didn't realize it was 9 p.m you're listening to new abolitionist radio here on the black talk radio network we're here with our guest david coma uh, South Carolina District 5 congressional candidate and Greg DeCoy from Doors of Justice. We are going to take a couple messages and back
0: 2008, providing new black media for the masses.
2: Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking, as always. Bringing it to the forefront of social consciousness so we can all get together and do something about that. Towards those ends, we have our congressional candidate for the Green Party, South Carolina District 5, uh, David Coma, on Coleman, um, air with us today as our guest, and also Greg Giacore. Uh I had a question, and uh, I'd like to ask, and that is this, and as I said before, I want to put it into some context. The man who took, who's now in the Trump administration, uh, what was his name again, the former congressman who joined the Dick Congress? Nick Mulvaney. Mick Mulvaney worth $8 million, you know, and uh, now he's in charge of budgets. <laughs> well, they also say that, and I mentioned this to you too earlier, is at this point it seems like a safe bet that's going to go Republican. And our uh, options here is now either to believe what they say or fight that much harder to make sure that that proves to be a lie. And one of the ways we're doing that, of course, is by bringing this very important subject to the forefront where people can finally get to hear about it, talk about it, and do something about it. and has someone, like yourself, who will get up and stand up for them on this issue. Now, even if you win or don't win, at the end of this all, do you plan on uh, bringing this issue to the Green Party nationally as an issue they should adopt from here in, out? Uh, we tried that with the Democratic Party, and they weren't trying to hear us. We tried it with the Republicans, and they weren't trying to hear us. Is the Green Party trying to hear us. And if you can't say yes to that as a whole, is it your mission to make sure that they do and make this part of their regular uh, topics that they stand? That's
5: a great question. Um, well, to tell you the truth, I hadn't thought about that before you just asked me so let me give a small amount of context and then give my answer so i wasn't a member of any party before this election Um, i was going in various directions before we decided to do this in terms of politically about what kind of strategy i would use in order to get out issues that i cared about that i knew that other people were not going to address here specifically in this district and so my relationship with the Green Party is very, very new. So I'm we're we're slowly making them aware of us that we're down here. Um, so uh, so I'm not sure um, what my specific I hadn't thought about what. So I'm very focused on the election right now. So I haven't really thought very much exactly about what would happen following. June 20th, that's when the election is, that, so I think personally, just as a, as a person, and now I'm now I'm a member of the Green Party, that the Green Party should make this one of their, would, this should definitely be in the Green Party platform, and this is something they need to start talking about now. Um, and I would love to spend time talking with them to make sure that they are aware of it, and... Want to advocate for this issue? Um, I don't know what kind of uh, um, ability to influence others is, but uh, I'm sure that there. Um, I'm almost. I am absolutely certain that the members of the Green Party around the United States and around the world, because the Green Party is the largest international party in the world, that. They will pay attention if this is brought up. So I would, uh, I will definitely do what you're describing. I don't know how I'll do that, because if I win the election, I'll be the most powerful Green Party member in the United States. And oh, then they'll right. definitely be talking my about point. it, because I will be talking about it. Right, that's right. <laughs> my point.
0: I, I should, should you, you win,
2: let's say you get a miracle and you win, which is what we plan to do, uh, right. Then you'll be in the position <laughs> to say, look, you need to make this a platform, a standard platform, because this is what put me here. And I'm going to keep it going. And you need to do the same.
0: If I'm not right. mistaken, uh, Greg, you might know this, but Bruce Dixon, who is also one of the editors over at uh, Black Agenda Report, I know he's a member of the Green Party because he consulted me on um, some media stuff uh, in preparation for Geo Stein. And I would certainly think he would be open to the uh, helping uh, Mr. Coomer and pushing or Greg and pushing that as a plank in the Green Party platform. So I would start with Bruce Dixon, if I'm not mistaken, he may be in South Carolina.
6: Actually, um Bruce lives in uh Bruce Dixon lives in, in uh in Georgia. And um after I left the uh the forum, um in, uh, in Lancaster yesterday, I called Bruce and um, lost him repeatedly <laughs> as I drove through the damn countryside. And if Verizon Wireless can't keep you connected, then what the hell is going on with the government that they're not making that happen to the people that live there? And, uh, and as Bruce pointed out, broadband is an even bigger issue. And, I mean, it's like these people are, are saying... We're staying with the Democrats, we're staying with the Republicans because they're delivering, but they're not delivering. But I'm preaching. All right. I want to say something specifically, and then I I will get directly to your question. Uh, No, screw that. I'll get directly to your question first. Absolutely, I'll commit myself to doing that. Um, I will absolutely commit myself to doing that immediately, okay? That isn't even going to wait until June 20th. I will begin writing letters to dyke well, today, tomorrow, two people in the Green Party to say this is a position we must take as a part of our national platform. Um, one thing I will say that would lead me to believe that this is um, likely going to at least get a hearing, um, a serious hearing, if, uh, if not a, a, an affirmative decision almost instantly, is the fact that the Green Party is the only political party that I'm aware of, well, the only ballot-qualified political party that runs candidates that I'm aware of in the United States that does today and has for, I think since it's founding, support reparation for the victims of, of historic slavery. Um, in addition, I, you know, that may mean now going to the party and saying that oh, we have to recognize that reparations are due to the victims of modern slavery as well, Okay, So uh, stretch ourselves. Um, and the other thing, okay, two more things real quick, like, and I know that we've overtaken our time, especially me, because I'm not the one running, but I know a few things that I think David may not. So that's one, and plus I know that David didn't mention, didn't say something that I want to make clear. With, as David pointed out, the Green Party is the largest international party in the world. We need to bring this to the attention of the International Green Party because, as I learned from New Abolitionist Radio, the United Nations has an exception clause in its own documents. So that must be fixed as well. Am I wrong? Is that not correct? Well, I don't know. Uh, I can't.
0: I can't say no, for I'm, certain. I'm to be I'm honest with you, but the no. Um, this, had, this Scotty, I'm sorry. Scotty? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, it, I will look it up. But if my memory serves me correct, it does not. No, I, I, the, um, I think I pointed out before the 13th should mirror what the Declaration of Human Rights says when it addresses slavery In case, and all its I forms. Asked. So it recognizes there's different forms of enslavement. So so I will look that up, but it's been a while um, since I've talked about that, Greg.
6: Well, you no, know what, Scotty, I, if, if the United Nations doesn't have that exception clause, we know there's at least a chance that other nations where there are active Greens may have exception clauses in their own constitution. That's true then that should certainly be challenged, and I'm going to shut up and let David speak. And then I had one more thing.
5: Well, I just I want to say that uh, I do have the... UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights pulled up because I've been mentioned. yeah I
2: have it in my hand too
5: <laughs> right. It's, article four says this: No one shall be held in slavery or servitude; semicolon slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. Period. That's the that's the Declaration of Human Rights. There you go.
2: And there's no except for prisoners duly convicted in that. It's exactly Clearly. what we need in our. In our 13th amendment no exception clause really? really? and the same thing in the states too because you know there's like 24 states that have adopted similar language and they use one of three words they use unless except or otherwise uh georgia mm-hmm. i believe used otherwise and they say that you can be enslaved or contempt of court in vermont which was the first one to use an exception clause it says for uh, non-payment of bills or the like so you can become a slave if you owe somebody $5. <laughs> it's really that simple in Vermont. And in Vermont, they still use human trafficking sending off their prisoners to Michigan and I uh, believe also to Arizona. <clears throat> that Family value. That was very important because we need one of these platforms to adopt this. I mean, one of these uh, parties to adopt this on their platform. But, Max. Uh, but the problem is Yes, Scotty?
0: Yes, if I may add um, I'm sorry to interrupt you but if I may add and build on to um, the strategic value of what Greg just proposed, the Green Party is an international party Um, Chris, I can't call his last name right now, he's in Canada and he's always telling me about and I see him posting about the different Green Party candidates all over the world that's running for office, but you know, we've often pointed out that CCA. When people say that the CCA Correction Corporation of America, which changed their name to what is it now, Max? I forget. Core Civic. Core Civic and the GEO Group are the largest private prison uh, companies in the United States. That's incorrect. There, they have these are multinational companies. GEO Group uh, bid in one Australia's entire prison system. So this is an international right. issue, and so I think Greg is right to uh, elevate it to uh, the level of the international uh, leadership of the Green Party.
2: Yes, sir. As we uh, just then heard
6: recently. Last... Go ahead. I, was, I, was gonna, I did have just one last thing that I wanted to say, and it'll take me probably about 30 seconds, but, so please plug me in when you're ready for me, too. Okay. Well
2: with that being said, maybe we should give David his chance to make any final comments he wants to end, uh you know, talk Hold to the people ahead. here. Abolitionist radio. We we
0: may have a call for um David. Again, uh, David Coomer is running for Congress in the fifth Coomer, 50- I'm sorry. Um, is running for Congress in the 5th District in South Carolina. I do believe we have a call. Uh, 757, did you have a question or comment for us tonight on New Abolitionist Radio?
3: Yes, hello, Scotty and Max, David. Hey,
0: greeting, Uh, Otis. Hey,
3: Otis. Otis, yes, it's Otis again. You know, I've been listening to y'all from afar, and and I'd like to kind of get this in. I'm going to run over it real quick because I know you all are pretty astute. Uh, part of the way that David can get some instant backing is what I've been noticing for the last four years. The public defenders all over the South are about to go under. I tagged some articles to you, Scotty. From 2013, Mothers Jones did a thing about states not funding local public defenders. So what's ended up happening is local jails have become de facto prisons when they're supposed to be temporary. What's happening, people are getting overcharged. You can go down if you just Google it. You can find out that back in January of 2016, Louisiana being the, the poorest state, by Jindal with all of his underfunding and not giving money to locale, the people that are sitting in local jails for two, three, four years, New Orleans Public Defenders' whole whole unit run by a guy by the name of Derwin Button, a, a black public defender, finally in November of this last year, he just stopped taking all felony cases because he said that they're so loaded and they can't even defend people properly. That, then you can go to Crescent City, City Louisiana, 30-some miles away. But then when I start Googling, you find out this is happening all over the South. Almost every southern state that is run by the GOP is refusing to fund public defender expansion so that people can actually have representation. Now, my point is if you want to get instant followers for stopping the 13th, this is all connected got a criminal justice system that's not just the police locking them up, it's just the whole justice system refusing to even provide your basic constitutional rights. So you got people just like the Rikers Island case up in, in New York, that they're refusing to fund it and creating a whole stockpile of prisoners from the local level right on up to CCA. That's why the expansion is going so wide. So if you want to get immediate families, I'm saying if you got a Green Party thing, start going to your public defenders and find out how long people have been sitting in jail for petty crimes. It's, it's, a, it's a ready place to build some support for getting to the 13th, abolishing this, because that's exactly what's happening. They've got people pleading guilty. Because they're sitting in jail and can't get representation.
0: Thank you, Otis. I'll let
3: you all go from there.
0: Thanks, Otis. Right. I've
3: written down what
5: you said. I'll keep and listening. Right. I've written down what you said, and uh, we'll definitely look to speak to the public defenders. Yo,
2: here. he's absolutely right because uh, one of the stories right. that he turned us on to is from CNN where they had an interview with the chief public defender out in uh, Louisiana and he was explaining how his staff now is no longer going to be uh, handling any kind of felony cases because they're so overworked and they're making a stand in order to protest this violation of human dignity and human rights and constitutional rights where you have 50 attorneys handling 22,000 cases a year. It's like it's, it's impossible to do and they're being forced into this cage where they must comply with these prosecutors who are using a ninety five percent plea bargain rate, which is unconstitutional in itself.
6: Absolutely, I've got to jump into this and say something. We need help, and let me let me explain myself. Okay. Otis is, is 100% right. We don't have. We are the campaign is me and David with a little bit of help from a couple more people, and including Max. Okay, here's the thing. Yes, we need. It is a brilliant strategy to contact public defenders in the fifth congressional district and find out from them what is going on in their lives and how they feel about it. We cannot do that. We literally don't have the resources, the time to do that. If you have the time I'm talking to all of you listening if you have the time and the willingness to do that we will come up with the way for you know the, the words that we would like for you to use but we don't really care if you speak from the heart and give us that information okay any way you can info at votekulma.org that's info at v-o-t-e-k-u-l-m-a dot if you can help us make that happen, he's absolutely right. That's a that's a brilliant approach. Then 30 more seconds and I will absolutely put myself on mute and not unmute myself. Um, <laughs> what David said about the frustration – listen, guys, he was screaming in my ears – the frustration that he had at that Democratic Party thing tonight when he said they weren't supporting grassroots movements forcefully, what he – didn't say is that things like, how do you feel about Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the responses were, well, I think they're doing good things, but sometimes they go a little too far, and maybe there are better ways, and you know, bullshit like that, and the, Max, you mentioned the wealth of the man who's now in Washington, the Republican, David's going to have to give you the figures, the more likely Republican candidate is worth much more, and the Democratic Party candidate, the, the Democratic Party candidate, the likely Democratic Party candidate is also a very wealthy man, a retired Goldman Sachs executive managing director from Hong Kong. But once again, I want you to understand the... The grassroots, the the real organizational people that didn't get full-throated support from the Democrats were also not getting full-throated support from the 26-year-old Democrat veteran, the 34-year-old, I don't know, something in that range, maybe 40, I'm not really sure of his age, veteran, nor the... Anointed one. So, for anyone who's in the Democratic Party who's looking for someone who says, Yes, I am with you, there was no one there to do that. And now I'm muted. Indeed, uh, listeners, please
2: uh, volunteer with this campaign to do what you can. They need help. And if we want to win this, then we've got to show that we're willing to support. So, we expect you to contact. And uh, shout-out to Jay Rochelle Laurie for doing exactly that. As soon as she saw what was going on, she said, hey, how can I help? And she was there with us on the 15th when we met with you.
5: Yeah, it was great not to meet her. She's,
2: she's really great. She may be the one to be able to contact the public attorneys for you. She's, uh, she's on things like that. She can do that. So hopefully uh, If not hurt someone, indeed. Uh, well, there you have it. Is there any more callers, Scotty, or any more questions from you? Scotty No, sir. Uh, Scotty's handling the board. <laughs> okay, no doubt. Well, uh, David, I just want to uh, give you an opportunity to make closing comments, you and Greg, but I would like to say that I appreciate your courage and tenacity and determination, and uh, I want to remind you that in Georgia recently, uh, there was a race going on where a Democratic uh, candidate had $8 million, and Republican candidate had only 75000 And guess who won (laughs) so it doesn't always that that money isn't always the the winning factor sometimes it's the man or person or the the cause that's behind it so i think that we can possibly win this and i just want you to know that i believe in you so with that being said anything that you want to uh say to the people
5: sure give me give me i can do about a minute here um so I'm in this because I want to speak about issues and from a moral stand. And this is the only one which I'm talking about human rights. I'm also talking about health care and education and housing and all of these things are related in order for us together collectively to make our country and the state of South Carolina better. And the only way we can do this is by working together to do to bring these issues to the floor. Everybody else is all mealy-mouthed. They're talking about things that are actually going to hurt people. So the only way we can guarantee that people like us and you can actually have a say in what's going on is if you stand up today and you volunteer or donate or however you can help us, if you can boost our message, what I'd like you to do is go to vote. Kulma.org. that's v-o-t-e-k-u-l-m-a dot o-r-g and you can find more information about us there you can also contact us and let us know what you'd like to do to help us but we really I, I, I'm, I, I was, I was, I'm firmly convinced that anybody else that's in this race is not going to do things that are really going to help people and bring real issues to, to, to the, to the fore and if we send somebody like me if we send me to congress You'll know that I'll be in the news and I'll be speaking about prison slavery from day one. If I get into Congress, you know, the, the, the prison march on August 19th, I will gladly join you in that march as a member of Congress to make sure that this is something that people in Washington and around our country pay attention to now. I'll stop there.
2: Amen to that, brother. And when there's a draw, I'm hoping to see you there anyway, uh, because your voice is important. Uh, and thank you so much, indeed. For those that don't know what he's talking about, he is referring to the Millions for Prisoners March on D.C. happening August 19th. Uh, you can go, just Google Millions for Prisoners March, Human Rights March, and you'll get all the information that you need. We hope that everyone supports that. So we can do, we do have millions there. And we hope that David Coleman wins his race for Congress, and we will do what we can to make sure that that happens, just as I know the listeners will. Thank you for being here with us, Greg and David, and uh, we'll be in contact, I'm sure, as this race goes on up until June 20th or the 17th.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Well, Max, we still have about, what, 30 minutes uh, left in this broadcast. Did you want to go straight to some of our segments? Uh, including the um, news segment and giving us that historical perspective of how long uh, this fight has been going on to end slavery. or Are there some particularly egregious news stories that uh, we want to share quickly? I could do that, um, and then we could go into your segments. Okay. Um, Yes, sir. This is also posted on the uh, page for tonight's broadcast. So those listening on the podcast and later y'all can check the links. Uh, Trump ramps up deportation force collect 6% yield. Now, if you read this article, it's pretty disgusting how the writer, and this is on one of the financial, um, Platforms, you know, where all they talk about is the stock market and, and they have different writers that give their projections and, and report stock related news. And it's just so disgusting how the author of this article is talking, telling people, oh, you need to go ahead and jump in on this. And, and you know, and, and then as an abolitionist, you know that. He's talking about profiting off of human beings, which is slavery, and how it's just right there in your face, and they blatantly is is disgusting. So, um, it, here's an excerpt: subscribing. Subscribers to retirement, one dividend at a time, got an early look at this material and received instant text message trade alerts, which often produce lower entry price points and higher yield and income. GEO Group benefits from Trump deportation ramp up. The GEO Group, uh, New York Stock stock Exchange GEO, won a government contract for a new 1,000-bed facility on Thursday. Uh, I believe um, Otis might have shared this uh, with us and and called in about it. Inside NOLA's public defender's decision to refuse felony cases, how do 50 lawyers handle 22,000 cases? They can't. New Orleans public defenders say the criminal criminal justice system needs urgent reform new orleans public defenders admit they've not been able to adequately represent all their clients and innocent people have gone to jail Um, Out of Georgia, Georgia officials dismissed 89 cases linked to fire officers shown kicking and punching a motorist. Days after two officers in suburban Atlanta were fired when video surfaced showing them kicking and punching a motorist, authorities have reportedly dismissed nearly 90 cases involving the pair. The Gwinnett County solicitor said she is dropping all cases in which the officers were involved. Um, here is a story, uh, first of its kind in all of my reporting uh, for five years on New Abolitionist Radio, um, and then another additional uh, two, two years, so a total of maybe nine years of reporting. I've never reported a story like this. Cop ordered to pay $415,000 of his own money to family of unarmed teen he killed little it's out of little rock arkansas an encouraging end to a tragic story comes out of arkansas this week at a former little rock police officer was found liable in the shooting death of the 15 year old boy in 2012 um then we uh have a story before we get to our segments out of florida Florida sheriff you blacks should learn how to act like white people in order to stay alive a local Florida sheriff took to YouTube to spread a terroristic message oh that was just me ad living there but that's really the truth of what he did but he took to YouTube to give the black community advice on how they should behave and describe themselves as cambia Uh, Sheriff David Morgan believes that part of his job description includes teaching black people how to be good citizens. And it's like I've said in a number of broadcasts that uh, with Jeff Sessions, the new U.S. Attorney General, having that conference with all the state attorney generals and saying how they were not going to investigate uh, any human rights abuses, let alone constitutional abuses like the prior administration had, and that's debatable about how much the Obama administration really did, but there were a number of key investigations that did come from that Justice Department, like the Ferguson report, the Baltimore report, but Jeff Session coming out and saying that they basically saying they weren't going to enforce uh, or protect, better yet, citizens' constitutional rights From police. Mind you, he said this the same week that the Justice Department was indicting several officers in Baltimore for straight up robbing people, planting drugs, weapons on them, and they were part of some kind of gun task force and and they were investigated and, and they were indicted by the Justice Department. So, what I'm saying is his comments in that bully pulpit that he has. Um, um, I believe has an effect on how these slave catchers, you know, think they get emboldened. And and, and, and I mean, there was another story where it was being compared to a uh, uh, ISIS video, where you had these sheriff's department department um people with guns on their hips. I you reported this last week and ski mask on, you know. And, and I think that was also out of Florida. But you know, um, let's not forget Florida. Um, had so many uh, uh uh people victimized by modern day slavery dying in his prisons that it had to set up a special website for a family to try to track you know whether or not uh, uh their loved one is still still alive and and we had george malincrot you know uh, uh who wrote the book about D- darren Rainy. rainey so um I only expect things to get worse and and more of these people that's in these positions calling themselves sheriffs uh, express this kind of terrorism towards um, their victims Uh, Max
2: yeah and one more story I wanted to add so people can be aware of it courtesy of our last administration Obama administration inclusion Clinton of course Uh, in Libya now not only are they a destroyed nation but they have reinstituted the slave trade, the African slave trade, where African people are literally being sold on auction box down in Libya. And uh, that's happening today in 2017. It's just a, a terrible, terrible shame. Also, uh, we are finding now that black judges are coming up missing. So far, we've had two. Uh, the most recent one now, they're calling it a suspicious death. And she was known for holding cops accountable. And uh, you you do the math on what's going on there. All of these stories are available for you on New Radio. And the final one that I wanted to point out, which is also available on our page on Facebook, is the DEA intentionally lets drugs into the community. And there's an article that breaks it down when interviewing DEA agents that tells you exactly how they do this. We've been telling you that for years, for example. Chicago allowed 80% of the drugs to come into their community because they were working directly with the Sinaloa crime uh, family making this happen. So a lot of the uh, dangers that we faced, the death, the destruction, the addiction, were allowed by our very
0: own DEA. Scotty? Yeah, Max, uh, those are documented stories because, you know, some people, when they hear that, they don't hear this type of news on your mainstream corporate uh, network. So then they start calling, you know, uh, labeling things fake news. And But look, the largest uh, distributed paper in Mexico did the investigative, the original investigative report, um, because all those Mexicans were dying as, as a result of the drug war, but yeah, that anybody could Google that information. Um, I think was his name, Al Chapo Guzman. I think they just convicted him or something. I would say that was a pretty quick trial. Um, but the Sinaloa cartel, which he headed, it is documented. Um, and you can find the information by going to YouTube or Googling it, that the DEA, and this is why Michelle Lionheart was running it, she was a Bush holdover, allowed the Sinaloa a free passage of their drugs, and I'm sure they were bringing guns and and other illicit um, items, to Chicago in exchange for information on their rivals. So what criminal wouldn't take that deal? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, yes, that's not a conspiracy theory. You know, look it up and, and just do your research. And, and so, yeah, I just wanted to add that.
2: The, the two pieces of news that I, you mentioned, to Scotty, I just want to make quick comments on. The one you said in your nine years of reporting, you've never heard of a policeman personally being held responsible financially for the people that he has hurt or killed or maimed. So that sets precedence right there. And I bet you if that happened a lot more often, you would see a lot less brutality and killing. And the other one is something that we've been calling for over and over and over again. The example came out with 20,000 uh, cases being dismissed due to drug uh, tampering with uh, the woman out of uh, Massachusetts. uh who had been falsifying the drug reports. And now we have another one where this cop here in- um, Annie Dukins, Annie Dukins. Annie Dukin. And now the most recent one where another cop and all of his cases that he has handled are being dismissed because he was found to be guilty and corrupt. That should be standard operating procedure. I don't care if you're a prosecutor, a cop, or a judge. If you're involved in the legal system and you have people's lives in your hands and you they find out that you yourself are a criminal, every case you've ever handled needs to be checked out because there are people who deserve to have their freedom and have the railroad so yes indeed was a very powerful story uh, with that being said I'll go on to our, our segments unless you have anything else to add Scotty
0: um, no Max don't let me hold you up do want to just right. say um, quickly second. that uh, Mind Body and Spirit radio is coming up at 10 o'clock p.m. Uh, Eastern time on Black Talk Radio Network
2: No doubt All right. our first and our newest segment is uh, Where we make note of slavery rebellions of the past And we call this, for freedom's sake, a history of rebellions And today we will be covering the New York Slave Conspiracy of 1741 Over the weeks you'll find that sometimes just the idea of a rebellion Was enough to make people go nuts For example The New York Slave Conspiracy of 1741 is an extraordinarily complex story. Some historians have dismissed the idea that slaves actually conspired to overthrow chattel bondage and gain their freedom, while others have argued that the events in New York were part of a mixed rebellion of the Atlantic proletariat. What is clear about this incident is that it is an example of an abuse of power and misuse of law and community values by white colonialists. Between the months of March and April, ten fires blazed in the city, culminating with four fires on a single day in early April. A grand jury concluded that the fires were the work of black arsonists who had ties to a larger conspiracy to burn the city and murder all white people. More than a hundred slaves were brought into the basement of the city hall on charges of burglary, arson, and insurrection. Thirteen slaves were burned at the stake, and seventy were sold into the backbreaking slavery of the Car- Caribbean. Two white men and two white women were also hanged. Seven other whites were permanently expelled from New York City. Critics from the New England from New England accused the New Yorkers of imagining the plot and did not hesitate to point out similarities between the events of April 1741 and the Salem Massachusetts witch trials of sixteen ninety-two. In fact, the nature of the confessions closely resembled the confessions at Salem. During their interrogation, slaves were beaten, harassed, and heckled by whites. These tactics probably contributed to the confession of 81 Blacks. After the confession's executions and deportations, the New York Assembly expanded its night watch, passing a restriction on slaves fetching water at any but the nearest pump, and decided to import its slaves no longer from the Caribbean, which had previously supplied New York with nearly three-fourths of its slave population, but from Africa instead, because the colonialists believed that African slaves were less likely to organize than slaves from the Caribbean. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio remember the New York Slave
0: Conspiracy. Salute, salute um, to those um ancestors and those who uh, fought to liberate themselves. But, uh, you know, that last part you said is they thought that Africans would be less likely to organize against slavery. Well, history would, um, you know, report that they were wrong on that. Um, um, Right there in South Carolina, you had the African Gullah Jack, who I think was some kind of priest in in uh uh, african religion i'm not i don't recall what he practiced but his name is Gullah jack and he worked with denmark vc um um who uh what's the name of the church emmanuel uh church that they founded that became the victim of the uh dylan roof and it was burnt down uh but yeah those uh, african people just worked together so that's what we need now man Uh, people to just stand up and decide you know that um, how much they're willing to risk to end what they know is a tragic evil but yeah history would show that they were wrong
2: indeed brother indeed they were absolutely wrong but those are the type of fallacies that these people believe then and believe now Um, with that being said our next segment where we will uh, pay homage and remember those who have been traveling this 21st century underground railroad. And today's uh, article comes from wrongfulconvictionsblog.org, wrongful and it says, Exoneration and Freedom for Evan King in Ohio, posted April 17, 2017, by Mark Godsey. Today, prosecutors in Cahoga County, Cleveland, Vacated the conviction of longtime Ohio Innocence Project client, Urban King. King was convicted in 1995 of murdering his girlfriend despite no direct evidence of guilt, eyewitness, or forensic. He always maintained his innocence from arrest and trial and then throughout the 23 years of incarceration. When he is released, which will hopefully be later this week, King will be the 25th person the OIP has freed on grounds of innocence since its founding in 2003. Together, the 25 innocent Ohioans spent more than 470 years in prison for crimes they did not commit. DNA testing confirmed that the semen found in the victim's victim's vaginal cavity after the attack matched male skin cells found under her fingernails. A hand-to-hand struggle appeared to have taken place during the attack. As the victim was strangled, this male DNA in both Locations did not match Evan King But rather an unknown male And then they have a video that shows you Some of the things that's going on about it They said prosecutors had for years been able to respond to King's motions for relief Even after the exclusionary DNA test results were Obtained and the trial court Sat on King's post Conviction motion for nearly a year And a half before denying relief Fortunately the 8th District Court of Appeals reversed the trial court's decision last year and set the case back to trial for a hearing, while specifically observing that the DNA evidence supports King's innocence claim. On Friday, the OIP learned that after newly elected prosecutor Michael O'Malley took office in January, he put new prosecutors on the case to look into it with a fresh eye. When O'Malley was later informed of the details of King's case from these prosecutors. He ordered that King's conviction be overturned and that he be released. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you and say welcome to freedom of the King.
0: Certainly salute. Um, I mean, it take a really uh, strong person who is convicted, you know, no play on words intended, but who is who is true to his conviction that I am not going to take a plea bargain or a plea deal? Cause you better believe they probably offered him uh, plenty of plea deals just to get just to get out. Of slavery, and he refused. You know that was what Khalif Browder did, uh, but unfortunately, it took a toll on that young man's mind that he wasn't able to handle it. And apparently, you know, nobody recognized the sign to get him some help, but he killed himself. But for Brother King to to hang in there twenty three years, um, knowing that he was innocent, you know, how how much how much reparations do you think is due? Uh, mr king and and who's to say uh, you know a lot of these states they try to put a cap on how much like north carolina i believe if i'm not mistaken try to put a cap on uh um, how much uh victims of modern day slavery and human trafficking can get in reparations it, it's just very very disgusting but it's it's always good to hear a story of perseverance like that of mr evan king
2: Hey man, it sure is. Uh, it's just damn shame that we've heard these so many times. As they said, just the number of men in Ohio that they freed have collectively been in prison for almost 500 years. Five, there is no price. There is no amount you could put on a man or woman or child who has spent 20, 30, 40 years in prison. It's just it's invaluable. There is no value you could set to it. The best thing you could do is hope that you somehow make their life comfortable for what's left of it and make sure that they or their family, because their families are victims in this as well, never want for
0: anything.
2: Well, there you have it. Uh, Scotty, would you like to do the abolitionist in profile this week?
0: Uh, Yes, sir. I'm actually trying to pull it up right now and our our abolitionist and profile comes to you from blackthen.com and it is Moses Dixon the founder of the secret organization Knights of Liberty to help fight slavery again this is from uh, blackthen.com Moses Dixon was born free in Ohio in 1824, he was the founder of the Knights of Liberty, which was a secret organization dedicated to fighting slavery and helping the enslaved escape. At 16, he began a three year tour of the South, which persuaded him to work for the abolition of slavery on August the 12th, 1846. Dixon and 12 other men gathered in St. Louis to devise a plan to end slavery in the United States. It was estimated that by 1856, 47,240 members of the Knights of Liberty throughout the nation stood ready to fight for freedom. Later in August of the same year, Dixon created another but smaller secret group known as the Order of Twelve in Galena, Illinois. The Order of Twelve was most prominent in the South and the Lower Midwest. The major benefits to members, similar to many fraternal orders of the time, was a burial policy and weekly cash payments for the sick. During the war, the Knights fell apart and many of the members joined the Union Army. Dixon later became an ordained minister of the African Methodist Episcopal Church and preached at several churches in the St. Louis area. He was one of the founders of Lincoln Institute, which is now Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. In 1879 to 1880, when approximately 16,000 Louisiana and Mississippi African Americans migrated to Kansas in what was called the Exodus Movement. Reverend Dixon served as president of the Refugee Relief Board, which provided them aid and support. Dixon was also involved in the Freemasonry. He was the second grandmaster of the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Missouri. Moses Dixon died on November the 28th, 1901. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes the memory of abolitionist Moses Dixon.
2: Words, salute, salute, salute. I love hearing the stories of our ancestors who fought in every way that you can imagine. Indeed, brother. Indeed. Well, uh, there you have it, man, is our three segments, and we still got 10 minutes to spare. Who knows? Maybe I can share a poem with the people today since it is still Poetry Month. Uh, What do you think, Scotty?
0: Uh, Yeah, we got time for a poem and some final comments. Uh, I I just need to change out the streams and restart the conference line, but it is uh, National Poetry Month, or is it international poetry? I'm I'm not sure, Max, but sure, share a poem with us.
2: Indeed, indeed. This is something Fresh Ink, we'll call it, okay? (laughs) And the title is, At the End of Days, We Eat the Week. It starts like this. I agree with North Korea's stance Look at what happens after you Capitulate to the dance Libya went from being the jewel of Africa Gaddafi made to becoming a bastion For the new African slave trade After assassination Tactics were deployed Its infrastructure was destroyed And the the military was disbanded The museums were raided By bandits and its bank Looted and emptied of all its treasures, gems, and gold, its destiny forever altered, its people helplessly left to be slaughtered. As part and parcel of the stock profits projected by the Wall Street press, all earthly resources were collected and redirected west. I've seen videos of enslaved blackens and slave pens, like game hens being forced to eat their own flag. Afghanistan just got hit with the Mofo Moab. So tell let me so let me tell you what's true. To avoid a confusion, Egypt had a military coup engineered to look like a people's revolution. Something else disturbs me greatly. Has anyone actually taken a look at Haiti lately? 9/11 was a dinner setting, and Iraq is a wreck. Now, sadly, the mobs are going after Assad in Syria like they did the Apache and the Comanche fathers using their A- Apache and Comanche choppers. We've all seen the costs like hawks from the eyes of the unmanned drones. We've all perceived the refugees dying in droves through the endless, senseless fuckery and fakery, the people being sold into slavery. I remember the first time I had an epiphany and the manner. It came to me after years of researching a question, which in my own mind was finally answered. The question was, what would you do if you found out that you, as a conscious thinking, self-aware being, were just one cell in a much larger self-aware entity? I had no idea at the time what this would eventually meant to. I won't tell the answer, you have to find your own. Mine is mine and yours is yours alone, but I know in a matter of moments everything I thought I knew changed. What and who got hit the same I went from being a sane functional human being To being a strange attractor On a fractal fifth dimensional actor Functioning outside normal physics I'm being specific And if you blink twice you missed it Later on and more recently extended The query was amended In Max's weird question version 2 of the sequel What if the larger entity is pure evil My friend Matt Cedillo Said America is a war machine Go check his blog if that is so, then what are we as Americans? Just a cog in the wheel or a wheel in the cog? I mean, it would mean that we are the machine, the machinations of devastation and destruction following specific written instructions in our genes and whispered in our ears for years or however long your life may last. It seems something, something side has decided it's hungry and it eats nations, leaving a wasteland in its path. Today, it feasts. When I wrote Rise Up, I didn't realize it was a message from the beast. Nor did I know that the it in I am is us. Max Parker, April 19,
0: 2017. Amen, bro. But you...
2: I will share that our new abolitionist radio so you can go through the written version of it if you're interested in checking it out. Remember that uh, we will be having the Spoken Word Gala this uh, April, this May 13th here in Columbia, South Carolina and tickets are still available. Scotty Reed, any uh, final comments for
0: you? Uh, yeah, I, I have a few. Um, Just want to thank uh, Greg and David for coming through and the commitment that they expressed on air. Cause like, like they used to say, well, we got it on Memorex now, you know, it's archived and, and they made strong commitments towards, uh, ending slavery in, in this country and i look forward to uniting with abolitionists everywhere towards that end i'm not people who know me or listen to my podcast on a regular basis no i'm not a partisan uh, person um and i'm willing to try anything like malcolm x said by any means necessary uh whatever it takes whoever i need to talk to wherever, whoever got the best plan wherever the momentum leads us you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. So uh, it's just uh, always encouraging to talk. That was my first time speaking with David. Of course, Greg, I've known for years and he's been an abolitionist uh, for years, but that's my first time speaking with David and for him to make a strong commitment to abolitionism like that. It's always encouraging. So those are my, my final, final thoughts. Um, It may look bleak with the current administration, um, but sometimes, not to sound cliche, you know, they, they say it's always the storm clouds, you know, but they break for a, a better day. So maybe at the end of this four years, we come in strong and, and with abolitionists, uh, you know, candidates pushing the issue and the grassroots involvement. And, and maybe in four years, you know, we'll see that that dawn of the day where slavery has finally been abolished uh, from this land.
2: Yes sir and I am in 100% Agreement with everything you just said Thank you to David and Greg for joining us Here tonight and sharing your views And we are going to support your candidacy And do what we can to make sure That we get an abolitionist In office Um, I will close with what I say every week Because it's worth remembering Abolition people Abolition, slavery abolition Is a reason For revolution A damn good reason so we can find, no peace. Peace. Rise up, 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 rise
1: up, rise up, rise up. showtime. Just lift your eyes up, let your eyes, rise up. See the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people. When
2: those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil.